Listen, my friend. I used to run the biggest outfit there was, and now I have to eat dirt. But I don't intend on doing that forever. I've got Spike gradually bringing in more guards. We're gonna build up that militia while we can. So don't waste my time with little boy stuff. Got it? Welcome to Series 2, Episode 6 of Conversation on the Eagle Mountain, a podcast about the tribe. I'm your host, Lance, and joining the podcast panel today is Liz. Hello. Sabine. Hi. And Carlin. Hello. With episode notes done by Matt and myself. So Series 2, Episode 6, the screenplay was done by Nick Doughty. It was directed by John Reed. And the episode synopsis we read out by Carlin. Danny's plans to capitalize on the Marat's influence in the city put her into a conflict with both Tizan and Lex. Jack sets out to impress Ellie, while Dale jumps at the chance to live his dream, although it might turn out to be a nightmare for KC. Okay, panel, let's um, start things off by talking about a significant moment within the show because this is where we first see the appearance of the Morats' pentagram symbol as a unifying tribal marking. And it's introduced by Tai San as a mark of protection as lets all the other tribes know that they are Morats. Um, so yeah, what did you think of the actual symbol itself? I guess I was looking into it. I ah, It just feels like the first sign of... I mean, I, it's a practical thing. You need people to know that you're a Morat and... But it's like... Once again, you're, wh- why is that symbol there? Why do people need to know you're a mall rat? Oh, it's so they won't mess with you because you have the virus. I mean, you have the antidote. And it's just that real first sign of using the antidote uh, for your benefit, which, again, I'm not going to argue about whether that's good or bad. Just that this is the first sign that that's what the mall rats intend to do. They're already leveraging the antidote in their own favor. Like, oh, you know, look at this. You know, you can show this on the street to people and no one's going to bother you. And why wouldn't they bother you? Because you can threaten to cut off their antidote. No one says that, Mm -hmm. but that's what Mm -hmm. it implies to me. Why else would you be wearing the stamp to warn people away from bothering you? It's like, unless you plan on using that antidote as a way to punish them for bothering you. Or, you know, it's just for me, it's just like, oh, okay, there it goes. We're starting down that path. And uh, don't even realize they're starting down the path because Tyson is the one putting the stamp on these people's hands. And it's like even she's blind to what that actually means. So I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, I think they're definitely using the stamp of the of that symbol to their use because of the whole antidote thing. It just seems like, you know, this is the first steps in terms of like... Uh, a tribe or a group with power becoming a somewhat of a dictatorship Mm -hmm. or at least that's how i saw it when i first watched the uh when i first watched this episode and (laughs) who who's like there's no one better to lead a dictatorship than danny right now (laughs) (laughs) yeah i i did find it interesting that tyson picked this symbol specifically i mean it's it has so much meaning yet so many people will misinterpret it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I found it a typical choice for their symbol. I just figured this is when I think about their their choices. This was the most interesting stamp they found. Like I don't, I don't think they picked it because it meant anything. It's just like how many hand stamps would you be able to find right now if you had to scourge your town for one. Like, if you're just like, oh my gosh, Arlen needs a hand stamp for school or whatever. <laughs> and so you're just driving around town trying to find one. How many would you find? You know, like, there's not a plethora of choice of, for these kids of this stamp, of like, what they could use, you know, the ink available, all that stuff. I think they just found uh, sure. this one. Oh, this looks interesting. Let's use this. It looks like it means something. I don't, I don't think it did, though. <laughs> It's like their colors and the the signage they used for themselves at uh, the tribal gathering. It didn't mean that much. <laughs> it's just like, this I, looks cool. I don't know. I think it meant something for Tyson, though. She never defines what it means, though. She she always talks like it's important, but she never s- explains, like, what did the pentacle actually mean to you, Tyson? Why did you pick this? Other than yeah, it symbolizes the tribe. It's like, yeah, but why? Why does it symbolize the tribe? Like, it's never I know explained. why. 
why she I know why and it's a theory you want to hear it not really especially <laughs> 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 it just popped into your head <laughs> this is Tizan way of conditioning the mall rats for what's about to happen with the technos of them being branded <laughs> she's a spy <laughs> this confirms it but but to add but to add to what you're saying yeah uh this symbol it just looks corny a little bit it's like what it's a circle and a star i mean at that point they might as well i thought they should have had like some really cool symbols they could have like painted on their face or something not like a a stamp yeah i mean it's representative of intellect and reason and you know all used in all sorts of magical things and i think it's fitting for tyson to pick that one yeah yeah really cool. i think it's fitting just, for her i just wish it had been explained somewhere along the lines yeah. what the symbol actually means other than it symbolizes us i'm like why why does it symbolize mm -hmm. you? They never do that. But that's actually really cool to know what it does mean. I never bothered looking into it, but um, I think that's really cool that, like the you know, prop department—they're the ones who picked that sign. It's like, mm -hmm. could you just? I just want you to tell me why you guys picked it. I'd love to be in on this so I could understand the importance because it never was important to me because I never knew why they picked it. I just, oh, it's it's it was just available and it looks kind of cool. Yeah, it is interesting that they never actually explain why it is significant. I mean, do you really think your young audience is going to know that? I'm an adult and never bothered to look into it. Mm. No, I, I all I know is like it's, it's overused in a lot of magical and spiritual circles, but that's that's about as far as I'm aware of it. Basically, it signifies a domination of mind over elements: air, fire, water, earth. You know. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I have seen that symbol before now. I feel like I've seen it on like Power Rangers or something. It's in everything. You've seen it a ton of times. It's a very common symbol. <laughs> so that's the other thing. It's like, if you have seen this symbol everywhere, it's really hard to understand why the Morats have picked it because there's a lot of things the symbol could be mean, could mean. Like if mm. you have seen it in witchcraft, well, you're like, well, <laughs> Morats aren't witches. They clearly didn't pick it for that. They don't practice witchcraft in any form. So why else did they pick it? And you're just, you really, you're just up to interpretation as to why they picked it, you know? And I'm just, I think it's strange that they just never explain what it actually meant to Tyson or the other Mallrats. Like, why did they pick this particular symbol? You know, I mean, I know I'm not losing sleep over it. <laughs> it never meant anything to me because I never found out why they picked it. I was just like, oh, that was the stamp that was available. That makes sense. That's good enough. Whatever. I see this isn't a stamp that would have been available anywhere near me at that age. <laughs> I was like, they were lucky to find that one. That was cool. Closest I would have been able to find is looting a school and finding something that elementary school teachers had in their desks. <laughs> it's Scooby-Doo! <laughs> what about us? We're on the team, right? Well, I guess we'd all have to decide on that. And not everybody's here. Oh, come on. We do our fair share. Alice is Tysan's bodyguard. I'm not saying you can't join us, Ellie. It's just that everyone should have a say. What did you guys make of the disagreement over the exclusion of Ellie and Alice as part of the Morats? <sighs> Despite the fact that, yeah, Danny has been readily accepted by, by force through by Bray, pretty much. <laughs> mm, it's just, it's wrong. I don't remember a vote for her, did you? <laughs> nope. It's another reminder that Danny was meant to be Amber because if it was Amber doing these things from episode one, there'd never be a question about it. Okay. And so obviously we look at Danny and we're like, how did she get accepted? How did she bulldoze her way into this tribe? And to have this conversation just reminds you that she didn't get that treatment. She didn't have to be voted in. Nobody mm -hmm. was allowed to even give their opinion on her. So it's one of those leftover marks from the original mm -hmm. script before Danny was created. Because obviously, if this was Amber, this conversation would make perfect sense. These are the first new members of the tribe that they've received, and they would have this conversation about them being in the tribe. But because Danny had to take Amber's place, we noticed it and we're like, this doesn't make any sense, you know? <laughs> mm -hmm. So that's to me, it's just a leftover in the script that, oh yeah, just remind you, 
they had to make some changes and now certain things don't make as much sense as they had in the original draft. Yeah, because it just feels wrong. Yeah. That, you know, that Danny got accepted so easily. And here's Alice actually contributing things. Yeah, because it's like if you'd had this discussion about Danny and what she's bringing to the group, uh, <laughs> you wouldn't have much of an argument at this point. She just showed up with Bray and nobody, no one had any say. It was never a question whether or not Danny would be part of the tribe. And, um, it's even worse than that because she's not even part of, she's me made like leader like exactly you know, any discussion or oh. <laughs> so yeah i'm just like this is just a leftover remnant from the previous draft when it would have made sense and now it doesn't because mm -hmm. we don't have amber in this role and danny sticks out like a sore thumb in moments like this yeah and the only one who seems annoyed by it is truly Alex. <laughs> yeah, well, Alex, Alex would be annoyed by anyone. Yeah, I, I mean, there's no, there's no arguing it. It's clearly uh, something that's left over from the, uh, you know, the other script yeah. that was meant for for Amber. But um, I don't know. I just every time I watched this episode or just watched season two, I just felt like they could have. I don't know. I just felt like they could have done better. Yeah. With you know tr tying in Danny into these kind of situations. Mm-hmm. Um, if they would have made her less of a Mary Sue and more of a someone that people didn't really get along with and, you know, people had conflict with, I think she would have been, you know, it wouldn't have been as noticeable of her, you know, coming into the tribe. I think it would have been easier if she just didn't take on Amber's role instantly. Mm -hmm. You know, she, she came in and everyone just accepted that, okay, this is Amber 2.0. Yeah, I agree with that. I think if I were me and I'm sitting here as a writer dealing with this challenge, like, holy crap, Beth isn't coming back to the show. And we have this meaty role for her that starts immediately from season, you know, episode one of season two. Mm -hmm. And I don't have her. What am I going to do? How do I designate these ro this role to someone else until I can bring someone else gradually in to fill it? And I wouldn't take the I wouldn't take the road they took. I would not introduce an immediately new character to step into the shoes because i'd be like that's too jarring it's too obvious um i think there's two routes they could have taken that could have salvaged danny here either they could have introduced her later to slowly take over this role and give these actions to bray because you could write in that bray is so desperate at this point to deal with amber's death that he starts down this one road track just trying to distract yeah. himself He's already distracting himself with whatever Danny wants. So why not have him the one who's pushing for change, you know, desperately trying to make sure that Amber's death wasn't in vain. You know, it could have been him doing these things. Yeah. It's, seeming, it's just seeming a little spastic for Bray. But it's like, yeah, he just lost his lover who lived for this stuff. Why not have him do it? And if you didn't want to do that, the other change I would have made that could have saved Danny in my eyes as a character who is more than Amber's replacement, get rid of the love story. That's what buries mm -hmm. Danny's character. Yeah. If she's just a girl who's determined to fix the world, fine. You can be like, yeah, she's a lot like Amber, but okay. But the minute you make it clear, she and Bray will be a couple. You just killed her. You just killed her character, you know? And so those are the two changes I would make to fix this. Hmm. So I just thought of a question. Do you think Danny... Would it have been a better character if maybe she would have like replaced someone else other than Amber, or she just would have been still like annoying Danny? It depends on the character. Some characters just as much as I love them, you have primary characters, secondary, and tertiary. Amber was mm -hmm. a primary character. You know what right. I mean? Um, just very top tier, making a lot of decisions for the group. She's, you know, it was really, really hard to have an episode without her in it because she was often stirring the pot, leading mm -hmm. the discussions. Um, primary characters are harder to replace, you, you know, compared to when Paul disappeared and replaced him with KC, they only had to make some subtle differences. And we all accept it. We're sorry Paul's gone, but KC's his own character. He was very easy mm -hmm. to make his own character. Um, yeah. And so I, I think it depends if they had had her replace Zondra's character. It still would be noticeable because of Zondra's very particular personality. But it would have been a lot easier to make changes mm -hmm. in Danny's personality. So that's like, oh, she reminds me of Zondra, but she's not Zondra. You know what I mean? And uh, But 
they don't make enough changes in Danny's character to make it unnoticeable that she's there to replace Amber. They just have her legit doing everything Amber would have done. They just add a little spastic spice to Danny and they give her a different reason for it. But that's basically it. And I'm like, dude, you're going to have to work way harder to replace a character like that, you know? Yeah, I agree. It, it would honestly, <clears throat> I think it's 50% of what you just said. And I think the other 50% is that the actress who plays Danny is not really that good. <laughs> I feel like if the acting was better. She has some weird line reads. Yeah, I'll give you that. I, she's nowhere near as awkward as the young actor who had to play Sasha. Mm-hmm. Or cringy. <laughs> I love well, Sasha. Oh, hold on. I love Sasha. I do too, but I can't deny that his act, the actor was often cringy in his line reads and delivery, you know? Um, I thought that was just the character. I don't think Ella's that bad. <laughs> I thought he uh, delivered it great. <laughs> but there are moments when Ella's delivery just feel stilted. And you guys could have done another take, I feel. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. I, I wonder if that had anything to do with how quickly they rushed mm. her into this, though. Yeah, she was just thrown in. <laughs> she was thrown in. Everyone was already used to working with each other. And she had to come in and take on this big role that was... Legit written for someone else. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know how the, it could be the way she was directed, you know, that may have made things feel awkward in her delivery. You know, um, I'm sure the directors and the writers were constantly waffling back and forth with Danny's delivery being too close to Amber mm-hmm. or just not Amber enough. There are moments yeah. when Danny feels very natural, you know, and I feel like that's often maybe that's what the actress being let to do what she feels mm-hmm. makes sense. And there are other times when she just doesn't feel, and who knows, that could be the director saying, could you land it like this? And that just didn't work for Ella. Who knows? Yeah. Going with a, oh, but that would have done it this way. (laughs) (laughs) You you know, I think it's, I I think it's all of that. And then it's also just the fact that she was only here for such a short time because not, not even all the actors, our core tribe mall rats were, uh, necessarily good actors they kind of grew into their characters in terms of their acting ability yeah she didn't get the chance to do that yeah i'm gonna side on the director bit that was mentioned Mm. i i do feel like she was directed to be quite almost stilted in her delivery and forceful Mm -hmm. on purpose Uh, i think ella herself is a bit more natural than that i think she was kind of targeted towards that for that character I agree with you there. But then maybe the casting's off. Because I think Ray's even said in his interviews that he doesn't necessarily cast for, like, best actor. He casts for who he believes is, like, a good human being. <laughs> Ella's good casting. I, I really actually do. There's a yeah. there's an energy that come off, comes off of Ella that I really love, actually. And mm-hmm. um, it, it just makes me sad of how she was wasted and how she was used. And that I never got the chance to like this character. I, I, cause I feel like the actress is fine, absolutely fine, mm-hmm. you know, but what they, she was asked to do didn't do her a lot of favors. And again, I would have been fine with Danny coming back in season three and seeing what mm-hmm. else they could do with her. Um, I yeah. might have felt completely different about her for years if I didn't just have season two to draw on. I love a character who you hate one season and then fall in love with the next. I think that's great. And they could have done that with Danny. I don't know why they had to get rid of her. I don't know what was necessary about that one. They could have taken that opportunity to, to you know, make her different than Amber. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> like, imagine if Ella was a, a guy in. You can <sighs> perfectly see that and picture that. And yeah. Her, yeah. she'd work exactly in that role. But mm-hmm. the way they directed her, because obviously she's Amber Point 2.0, it just didn't work. <laughs> I just wish we could have seen Ella in a role that was written for her mm-hmm. so that she could have made it her own you know rather than having to live up to her character who's gone unlike everyone else she's never allowed to grow into her character because it was never hers to begin with and yeah and I'm, and I'm sure that came into the directing all the time you know and um because when someone wrote these these this role for amber they had an idea of how it should look and how it should be directed they knew that already mm-hmm. and then they didn't have beth to do it and so they had to rewrite the character just enough to fit in Danny and I 
I would not be surprised if there are plenty of times when, you know, Danny's given the scene that she's supposed to do and she's trying to be Danny. And it's like, um, could you actually do it a little bit more like this? Because the writer and the director already had, they'd already envisioned yeah. how Amber would have done this. You know what I mean? And mm-hmm. I, I just feel like she was hampered. I feel like Ella was doing this role with one hand tied behind her back the entire time. Yeah. Like she was hogtied in this role. So definitely. Sometimes she just doesn't come off natural. Her acting feels weird, but then there are moments when I'm like, this girl can act. She's just not able mm-hmm. to make this character hers. And I don't blame Ella for that at all. Yeah, it's very sad. <laughs> I feel really bad for Ella. I, I mm-hmm. feel like, and in a way, Danny may have been the most shafted character in five seasons when you mm-hmm. think about it from that point of view. Yeah. I mean, that does lead on to the other question. Like, why do you think they didn't? improve her in okay they forced her into this um this narrow amber gap but then why did you why didn't they develop her into her own character as the show progressed do you think um um, this is just a theory i can't get into these people's minds i don't know what they're thinking and i'm not a screenwriter but my theory could be we have seen this in television shows before um sometimes now some of the greatest television shows are the ones where the writers allow the characters to grow through the seasons and just Mm -hmm. let the character take us where they go. So when you take the the show friends, when they first wrote those characters, they're very, you know, stereotypical. We all know Mm -hmm. what they were, but then look at how Monica started and where Monica ended up. They were allowed to grow and develop as the show, you know, became, they stopped being stereotypes and, became a whole group of neurotic terrible people and that's the joke you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um but then take a a show like how i met your mother where the writers are so determined to get to the end they always knew they wanted that they stop recognizing that that doesn't work for the way the characters have grown and changed Mm -hmm. and so they still force that ending they always wanted and the fans are like that makes no sense the characters wouldn't have done that why couldn't you just except that things had changed and maybe the tribe writers got stuck in that trap. They had streamlined season two. They knew what they wanted it to be. And instead of recognizing that some changes need to be made as these characters were developing and Danny's starting to become her own person, they were just like, no, this is the story we made. This is what she needs to do. And that was that. Um, Mm. I think the story came above the characters in season two. It's a good story, but that might have been it. Just a theory. Yeah, I think personally, uh, I, I just think it was too little, too late. I think they were trying to build her up to be a better character. Because, you know, obviously later in the episodes, we get to learn more about her, which makes her seem more interesting. It makes her seem more a part of the actual story of the show. But um, yeah, this, she, she, unfortunately, she didn't get to, didn't get to stay. Because it seems like when you're focused on the virus storyline, there's just enough to make Danny stand out as different than mm-hmm. Amber to me. Just enough. But once the antidote and the virus is no longer a plot point in our story anymore, <laughs> she's just left with Amber's leftovers. And that's the love story with Bray. Only it makes less sense because, again, it's a new relationship where at least with Amber, it would have been a continuation of she and Bray's progress as a couple and the problems that come with, yeah, you, we're in love and that's great. Now what happens, you know? And instead mm-hmm. Danny just gets a rinse and repeat. I mean, freaking, she gets a rinse and repeat of Amber's entire story, you know, season one story arc. Yeah. And it's like, she just got left with Amber's leftovers. And I'm like, you could have just not continued the love story. You could have written that out, you know, um, but they were the, Hey, that's what we wrote. And that's what's here. And we're not changing it regardless of how it might actually improve Danny and whatever. Yeah, but even with them having that love story in place, they still could have done more with her, especially towards the end of this season. And it just, it really frustrates me that she leaves the way she does. Because I kept wondering, but what happened? But what happened? You know, I actually wanted her back in season three. I did too. I I just wanted... I just wanted more conflict with Bray, with Ebony, with Amber, and then you threw Danny in the mix too. Mm-hmm. That's like what a rectangle, <laughs> <laughs> rectangle love. <laughs> what do what do they call that? 
because not a lot of complicated. People. Yeah, it's <laughs> <not> complicated. <laughs> that, that's what it's complicated means. I didn't miss her in season three. You know, um, I didn't. I wasn't sad she was gone, but yeah. I did. I even when I hated, her, I was like, well, she certainly deserved better than to just drop off the map and never be mentioned again. Yeah. She mm-hmm. did exist, people. I'm like, even if someone just mentioned how much they had once hated her, that would have been fine. At least acknowledge that she'd been here. But Bray men- mentions her once and then never speaks of her again. You know, and it's like, Bray, I thought this woman gave you a reason to live again. You know, um, but I, so even when I hated her, I was like, that's not cool. Mm-hmm. She deserved better than that. <laughs> like, what the hell? Even when they had the Guardian captured, they don't even ask him. She's 100% the writers because it just solidifies that she was just a replacement. That's mm-hmm. all she was there for. That's all, all she was buying time until Amber came back. And it's, it's sad because she could have been so much more. Could have been one of the greatest characters, in my opinion. Anyway, the food supply won't last. There are other people out there who need feeding. Well, there's always the farm. And the girls could certainly use a hand. You think we should move out there? No. But we can help run the farm and bring back food to the city. I can do that. I can handle it. Hey, that's my farm you're talking about. Sorry, I'm only kidding. I have to stay here and watch after Tysan. You're welcome to manage it for me. Let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about the food situation in the city. Because um, Bray and Danny are concerned about what's going on. And this leads to Alice suggesting that the farm can help them all if they had more workers. That was eager to go, along with Celine, Ryan, Patsy, and Chloe. So, yeah, panel, how did you initially react to the tribe being split this way? Because uh, I know we've discussed before about the different levels of characters. Like, did you appreciate that the others were given something significant to do? Yeah, I actually did appreciate that because it gave them a chance to do more than just hand out the antidote, hand out some more antidote, pick some herbs, hand out more antidote. <laughs> yeah, life's getting a little redundant in the mall. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved it. Uh it was clearly the birth of an amazing character. I mean, we already love uh Dal, but Cowboy Dal, he's almost <laughs> like a different person, like a different personality. He has more confidence, and I love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. It's just nice to get out of the mall and um emphasize that for one season these kids were legit trapped inside this place Mm -hmm. it was home but it was also a concrete prison for them you know it was just as much to keep the outside out and the inside in you know and so for them to be given the opportunity to leave safely not running away not running into slavery or indentured servitude or whatnot just going outside to do something else rather than the menial chores Mm -hmm. that exist inside the mall. And it's so colorful and bright. And I was like, that's really nice. You know what I mean? These people never had the opportunity to do this and now they can, you know, it's not, there's no mention of danger, you know, Um, even just traveling to the farm in season one was a dangerous endeavor. You know, they needed several of them Mm -hmm. to go for guard, you know, and, it's a really nice juxtaposition to how things have changed for them. The world is opening up and it's like you only keep your kids in the house because it's not safe outside. But if you have a backyard, they're out there. They're out there playing. You kick them out, you know, go, go play, go discover slugs and whatever, you know. And so it's really nice that their world is opening up like this. And then they remembered what Dal wants to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Don't worry, Dal. We're going to be your farm. We have a plan for you. Yes. I love his eagerness, his excitement. Um, and again, it's not coming from a place of despair. Like, let's run away, Trudy. I've never wanted to be here, and I don't know what's out there. Um, <laughs> no, nah, this is like, I'd love to do that. Oh, my gosh, a farm. It's already ready-made. He doesn't have to try and go through all the work of creating it. He doesn't have to worry about fighting off anybody. There's just a farm ready to go. Dal's like, yes, I'll, I'll totally do that. I've always wanted to. To the point where he's un- he's stepping on people's toes. Like, I'm here to run the farm. And I mean, <laughs> you should mention Alice, Dal. <laughs> you know, but I'm happy for him. I really am. Did anyone else find, find it so touching when Jack <laughs> was mourning the loss of Dal? <laughs> oh, yeah. 
it really does feel like their breakup. I didn't want to say because I wasn't sure if we were going there yet, but um, <laughs> I feel like this is the episode. I love Jack and Dal as a couple. I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I also understand why this relationship is coming to an end. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sad to see it go, but I get it. Like this whole episode feels like it's emphasizing that Dal and Jack have always wanted different things. They fell mm-hmm. together and they had a great relationship, but they were, they always wanted different things, you know, and finally Dal has the opportunity to chase what he wants rather than just being Jack's sidekick and supporting him and loving him. Now he can do something for him and Jack can't even be happy for him, you know, because having Dal next to him is more important than Jack's hap. I mean, Dal's happiness to Jack. And unfortunately that is a selfish part of Jack, but um, Dal would have never begrudged Jack's happiness. You know, whatever would have made Jack happy, Dal would have been there for him. And it's, I'm like, this is the breakup. It's sad, but it's like inevitable. Mm-hmm. When the world opens up and opportunities come to you, people often find that they don't need the partner they had anymore. And they're just not interested in the same thing anymore. That look on Jack's face, though. I mean, Jack is, Dal invites him to come to the, the farm. Mm-hmm. And what does Jack say? There's nothing there for me. There's nothing there for mm. me to do. He can't even fake going to the farm to be with Dal. Mm. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. sorry, I don't love you that much. I couldn't be happy there. You know, and and of course, Dal has no interest in studying the files at Hope Island or Eagle Mountain. He doesn't care anymore. You know, he never really did. But Jack does. That's what Jack's interested in. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I'm just like, mm-hmm. I get it. I understand why the boys have to part ways. You know, it's almost like they were together by necessity because there was nobody else close enough in personality for either of them. And now the world has opened up. Sorry, boys. Uh, that almost sounds like a, a Hallmark remake of Broback Mountain. <laughs> 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 I mean, I can see Jack and Dale sneaking out to the farm late at night. And Dale's like, does Ellie know you're here? And he's like, she doesn't need to know. <laughs> I wish I knew how to quit you. <laughs> oh God. Yeah, but it it is pretty sad to see their uh their uh their breakup. I mean I mean in all honesty, this personally, besides like I would say like a, a Patsy and a Chloe and an Amber and Trudy, I think Jack and Dale is one of my like favorite friendships yeah. and to see them grow, grow up with each other. It's uh, it's always amazing. It's funny that it actually runs the gamut of a real breakup with people, with these kind of personalities, mm-hmm. you know, um, because both of them will go through like resentment and regret as they watch the other move on with their lives. Um, there's even a sense of wanting to punish your ex for being happy you know, mm-hmm. um, so I'm like, wow, they actually run the gambit of a young relationship and the way they treat each other and it suits their personalities. But for me, this is the actual breakup moment. The moment they realize we want different things. I don't think this is going to last, you know, between us. Do you think it was a little too obvious how Ellie was thrown into the mix? Because we see her... <laughs> like immediately connecting with Jack over his commitment to uncover the truth about Eagle Mountain, where we just saw that Dow just wasn't. Uh, yeah, I do. And I think that's actually a point that they're making. I mean, why would you have this scene where you're expressing to your audience in the writing why Jack and Dal need to end? Like, why would you have that scene? And then immediately show Jack in another scene where he's actually meeting someone who wants the same thing he does. Like, I think that was very pointed. I mean, mm-hmm. you also have the scene that juxtaposes it is Dal arriving on the farm and look how freaking happy he is. Yes. I, I think those scenes both are the point and they go hand in hand with the boys breaking up. It shows like, what they actually want and what can actually make them happy. And for Jack, it's another person who thinks like him and wants the same things out of life and is just as ambitious as him to chase truth and stories and conspiracies and whatever. And who's just as thirsty for something to do as Jack is, who's feeling like their intelligence is being left to nothing, left to rot in this Mm -hmm. world. Where is their place? And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, there's somebody like me, finally, like really like me. And then, of course, Dal's happiness 
is in his environment doing what he wants to be doing. Mm. So I, I, I think it is obvious, and I think that's the point. Because Elliot already pointed out that, unlike Alice, she's not a girl who wants to be on a farm. You know, she wants to be in the city with the technology. Yeah, that makes her more suited for Jack at this point in his life. Tisk, tisk, tisk. These, these kids, their minds are starving. They are chomping at the bit mm-hmm. for anything to eat. They're atrophying with inactivity, yeah. you know? And um, it's like, it, it expresses why Ellie sought out the boys immediately when she came to the mall. And she's been studying everything about what they did, you know? Like, who else gives a crap how the mall rats got the antidote? But Ellie's like, I've been asking around. She, <laughs> she's been writing a freaking essay, you know, on the story mm-hmm. of the mall rat so she could know what was going on and how all this happened. So she's always wanted to know. And she chases these guys down. And then she susses that Jack's the only one who actually genuinely cares about this stuff. And she's like, and nobody cares, right? She knows exactly what Jack is doing. She's interested. She immediately yeah. gets on his computer. I want to know what you're working on. Like these two are hungry for the exact same thing, and there's some Jack's surprise. Like he thought Dal was the only person he'd ever meet that he connected with, and then here comes this gorgeous girl into his life who's like, "I want the same thing," and he's just like, "For realsies, girls <laughs> <laughs> knowing stuff about computers? Just, just sure, sure." <laughs> Oh my gosh. But he I love the fact that he writes her off like he does everybody else. <laughs> Jack, you're such a douche. Somebody has to take control. Hey. Hey, you know I'm with you. What if we called together all the tribes? Just the leaders. We could lay down some plans to start rebuilding. Like real change? Could work. And this time we do have something to bargain with. We have to do this, Bray. While we can. Who knows how long our power is gonna last? Okay, okay. We'll give it a try. Just take it easy, Danny. You're pushing yourself too hard. I care, Bray. Yeah, and so do I, Danny. But don't fight me, please. I'm on your side. You have to talk again about Danny because she presses Bray to call a meeting of the, all the tribal leaders to discuss the future of the city while the Morats still have influence. Um, but this comes into direct contention with Ty San, who thinks they should all let things evolve naturally but yeah panel what did you think of danny's ambition because she wanted full disarmament and no slavery do you think this was right is she wrong to abuse their power in this way like where are you landing on this big issue it's a difficult one because i can see where she's coming from and in a perfect world that would make sense to want and right now they do have some power to do that but it just doesn't go with the way she wanted things earlier, with give everything out to everyone, let people decide from, for themselves. And that's just, yeah, I can see where she, she's coming from, but I can also see why that's not the most practical way to go about it. Yeah, that's what it really comes down to. It's not like her ideas are bad. I don't think there's anything wrong with, you know, wanting to make the city a safe place where, I mean, why do people carry weapons in the city? Because they're scared of being attacked. Wouldn't it be great if they didn't have to, if they didn't have that fear? The average person doesn't walk around their town with, you know, a weapon because they don't have to be fearful. They'll just be attacked on the street, you know, in our world. And she wants to return to that. That's fine. That makes sense. And no slavery obviously makes perfect sense. But I agree, her way of going about this is completely wrong, detrimental to her cause, and is only going to backfire. I, I'm, I have trouble with this argument just because it's a freaking repeat of the same argument Tyson had with Amber in season one. Mm-hmm. And so it's just like, uh, another reminder that they're just repeating the same storyline, but they're just doing it with Amber, uh, Danny this time. Um, mm. Legit, this conversation almost happened word for word between yeah. Amber and Tyson. Yeah. You know, where you realize, oh, what Tyson wants with power is not to actually utilize it, right? <laughs> you know, and then, of course, Danny or Amber's irritation that, oh, Tyson is just so chaotic, you know, and mm-hmm. and her kooky ideas. I mean, Danny literally says the same thing that Amber said, you know, like, her ideas are so kooky and she's the only one with real power. I'm like, okay, so that's a little hard for me to avoid the comparisons. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, this conversation would have had much more poignancy if it was amber and tyson come to head again but it's just danny doing the exact same thing and i'm like i do like the fact that uh this kind of turns things on its head now last episode you're 
you're concerned or the episode before what does Tyson want with the power she now has and it's a little scary because you don't know what Tyson actually wants right mm-hmm. now you do now you know what Tyson wants with the power she wants everyone to be left the frick alone to do what they will for the most part and now it's Danny who's starting to show some red flags or obsession with who has the power and how it should be used and how aggressive she's becoming about it. And it's just like, oh, maybe Danny's the one we ought to be worried about. Um, because here's Tysan. Tysan has the power, but she's not interested in using it. She doesn't want to do anything with it. She's not like, oh, I want everyone to do this, do this. And here's Danny, who is thirsting for that power and actually having fights with Tysan about it. To the, even the fact that Tysan disagrees with her makes Danny uncomfortable. She feels mm-hmm. the need to go to Tysan. And Tyson even says, you don't need my approval, Danny. You know what I mean? It's not like I can tell everybody what to do. And Danny just doesn't want Tyson to bring up anything that could derail her plan, which to me is a huge red flag for Danny and what she wants. It's kind of scary. <laughs> exactly. It is definitely scary. I think Danny is going through a bit of guilt over just what what's happening with the world and she feels like at this point in time she has to do everything she can to fix it to the point where it's not what everyone uh, envisions what the world can be with this new apocalypse it's just what she envis- envisions it um and also you can kind of tell that she's never been in this position before in her life because when she gained just a little bit of power she's just very impatient with it she feels <laughs> Like it kind of like she has to do everything now. Yeah, before she doesn't get a chance to do it. Yeah. Yeah. I even get that. I understand. I, th- I think she expresses herself very well. We need to do this while we can, while we have the leverage to do it, you know? And I get that. I understand that, that sense of desperation, especially if you've been waiting all this time for the opportunity to make things better, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, when will you ever get a chance this good again? You know, where the rest of the people, if they don't listen to you, they're risking death. Like, that's a great opportunity. I get the, the desperation to use it. Mm-hmm. But you know what I really love about this conversation between Tyson and Danny? Even though it's just a repeat of <laughs> Tyson and Amber. What I love is that Tyson legit spells out the thesis of season two. Like, one person's vision of perfection is another person. I mean, again, she says the same thing to Amber, but I just love it because it's exactly the problem that happens in season two. Is that the, the mom rats are trying to shape the city into their vision of paradise. And for many people out there, it isn't paradise. You know, it's a hell because they have no control. They have no say in their lives. It's just whatever the mall rats tell them to do. And I thought that was fantastic. A little nugget hidden there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're right. And not just the Marats, the Chosen too. Yeah. Something you brought up just reminded me another reason why I dislike Danny. It's because <laughs> we never see her actively kind of seek to do something about the state of the city, obviously before this, before meeting Bray. Mm-hmm. We know nothing about her past. She's not like she's done anything to try and make things better or wanting to do things better. And it, it, yeah, it irritates me, I guess. <laughs> The only thing they kind of insinuate, you know, before Danny poofed into being, because she clearly didn't exist. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, it, the only thing they kind of insinuate is that once the virus came back, she did start looking for answers. It never made mm-hmm. sense to me that Danny didn't find any answers, but I'll leave that for another day. <laughs> yeah, because she was at a prime spot to find answers. She was in a prime right. position to find answers. Um, she certainly should have found him before the Marads did. Uh, they should have gotten to Hope Island. It should have already been blown up because Danny had already been there. <laughs> but, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it alone. I think that's the only thing that they do insinuate that Danny was doing. She was searching for answers because the virus had come back. Up until then, she was likely just trying to survive. Um, I don't know why she wasn't doing more. I mean, especially when you have a character like Amber, who didn't even have the same reasons for trying to make the world a better place as Danny. Mm-hmm. And yet was more determined to actually do something about it. But maybe the opportunity just did not avail itself to Danny. She also lived in fear of anyone finding out who she is. Mm -hmm. And likely had no way to protect herself if someone did. So um, I don't know what she was doing. (laughs) Because a crossbow can only do so much. 
she clearly felt like she was paying penance and let, stayed alone. Again, it seems mm-hmm. strange, but okay, I'll buy it. I'll buy it. I guess. That's the impression I got. Yeah, she was just held, hold up, didn't really do anything, didn't really venture into the world, and then all of a sudden, it was on until break came. Conveniently <laughs> walked into her life and brought the answer that she'd apparently been searching for. <laughs> okay, sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I like to think that not only has she been reading up on information and searching for information and stuff like that, but she's also just been training with her crossbow. (laughs) Well, I honestly don't, I don't know how well she could use it. I mean, they say that she knew how to use it, but it was like on display and we never see her end up using it later on, especially when it could have been useful. So, um, Mm. I don't know. (laughs) I think it's just kind of a cool accessory she was given. Nobody ever teach you to knock? I was going to ask you the same question. What's that supposed to mean? Well, you know very well. Just walking into this tribe like you own it. I was invited. Now I am just as much a part of this tribe as you are. Hmm. Brother and sister now, are we? What is your problem, Lex? You and Loverboy. Now, if it were you and me to get close, well, that'd be another story. Okay. <laughs> Let's talk about that steamy scene between Danny and Lex. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yes. So, not happy about having been left behind from the upcoming leaders' meeting, Lex really flips at Bray and Danny. Later, Ebony warns them to be patient while they build up their militia, but Lex can't help himself, and he finds Danny in a vulnerable moment and really comes on to her quite heavily. <laughs> yeah, panel. Uh, what did you make of that scene and Lex? Oh, he needs to be behind bars. Oh, <laughs> so gross. He is so lucky that she didn't just chuck that whole bowl of water at him. Yeah, he came on as a creeper. That's so gross. It's so gross. Everything about it. Like, I won't lie. There was a time I hated Danny so much that my own misogyny and hatred of her like had me thinking haha isn't this funny she totally deserves this and i'm ashamed of that i am because there's nothing amusing about this and i look at it now and i can't imagine i can't believe that at one point i wasn't that bothered by this scene i always knew it was creepy i always knew it was predatory i always knew it was gross but i didn't feel bad just because i didn't like danny and like that grosses me out that i felt that way at one point um and watching it today i was just like ugh. Nobody deserves this treatment. Like, mm. ugh, he deserves to be locked up. He needs to be locked up. He's dangerous. He's disgusting. I mean, it feels like he's just taking a play out of uh, Ebony's playbook of trying the femme fatale, you know, like of getting allies because his ways aren't working. And Ebony's clearly very good at what she does. And he keeps trying to emulate what Ebony does. He keeps mm-hmm. trying to impress her. He keeps trying to prove that Ebony needs him as much as he needs her. And he's failing left and right. And um, because he doesn't want to be Ebony's puppet, but it's so clear that he can't control her, but she's the one who can keep coming to him and like putting ideas in his head. I so I don't feel like he's doing this out of attraction to Danny, but more like maybe this is a way to get into you know with her. Um, yeah. but it's just it, it's creepy, it's just gross. <laughs> the kiss on the nose. <laughs> 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 it's like when Ebony like licks his sweat. Like, what's wrong with you people? I'm glad she slapped him, but I wish she'd done so much more. Yeah, that was an awkward slap too. She was quite generous. Like, she was uh, right. She pushed him off. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, she shouldn't need him. Yeah, it, it's oh. moments like this when Lex is behaving this way that I'm so glad that Alice just does similar things to him. You know, she grabs him and kisses him. Yeah. Just in front of it. She pinches his butt cheeks. And she gets away with it. And every time I see that happening, I think, ha, now Lex knows what it feels like. And then it's moments like this that I feel like, yeah, he really deserved that. Yeah, Lex is just that perfect character of just, when he does a little good, you think like, oh, maybe he's finally turning the other cheek. And (laughs) He goes back and does things like this. And it's really hard, really hard to defend Lex. Mm-hmm. I think there are very few people who can, or at least who try. 
this moment with Lex, I feel like it compounds a bunch of moments that you see in this episode that I don't know if it's meant to be foreshadowing, but it does turn out to be important as the storylines continue. Here you have the introduction of the Mallrats looking for more control via Danny, um, making the city safe, you know, and um, ending immoral practices in the city. Awesome. And yet all of this stuff is happening in the mall. The Mallrats can't even control the stuff happening in their own home. Mm-hmm. And yet their ambition is to try and take over the whole city. You know, it's like we've got Ebony scheming beneath their noses. We've got, you know, the sexual predator Lex wandering freely through this mall. And, you know, we have Casey scamming these poor virus victims. And it's like, if you can't take care of it here, you're not, do not take on the city. Why don't you clean your own house first? Mm-hmm. And um, to me, has always been their biggest flaw throughout this entire season. Is that, of course, they they are taken down and they're not able to handle the city. They can't even take care of their own mall. And so I feel like the episode's interesting for that. Because all of this stuff happening, where even in your own mall, Danny isn't safe from harassment. And yet she, her goal is to fix the city. And it's like, fix this first, you know? Mm-hmm. Your biggest predator is walking around without any kind of punishment whatsoever. But Casey's got to go muck the pigs. You know, it's, it's your, your home is already a mess. It's a mess. What are you doing trying to take over anybody else's lives and tell them how to live? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like you mentioned, we, we know what's going to come in the future, but uh, do you think that Ebony's comment was justified where she calls like, like, like will always be forever seen as a two-bit hustler for knickknacks and rubbish? She's not wrong. Mm-hmm. You know, if he's not willing to change his attitude and his behavior and he's always going for the easy win and he just continues doing that and the writers decided... Yeah, we're done with his development. She's not wrong. That is how Lex is seen until season five. They got him doing the mm-hmm. same BS. Yeah, I was going to say, it, it doesn't change at all. <laughs> Keeps coming back to it. At some point, the writers just gave up on this young man's development and what he might grow and learn. You know, I think season three is the top peer we ever get for his development. After that, it's. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. He regresses and goes into stasis. And she's not, so she's not wrong. She's not wrong at all. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I don't think Lex has had that kind of influence, though, of someone who can, who can change him. I, I thought, you know, seeing season one, Zandra would be that influence. And I think she would have if she would have, you know, been alive. But um, it's almost like he's just back to square one now. But see, that falls into the idea that uh, someone else is required to change Lex. And it's like, no, Lex just needs to grow up and change of his own volition mm-hmm. from the experience. Well, he, he, he can't grow up if he's, if he's in the same environment and still doing the same stuff. And I think Zandra was the only one that was like, we should leave the city and, you know, we should go see what's beyond the mountain and all that stuff. But now he, he doesn't have any of that. Yeah, why would the others be able to grow up in that same environment and Lex couldn't? Yeah, I don't think that's a good excuse for Lex. No. Like, Lex has plenty of opportunities to be a different person, to see different things in his environment. He's not just in some poison pit trying to grow. You know what I mean? Lex is surrounded by positive influences. It's what he's choosing to do at every turn. So, again, I don't believe that was someone else's responsibility to fix him or that he's helpless to his circumstances. He's not. Uh if he were stuck with the Locos, I might say you have a good argument there. He's not. He's like with the best yeah. tribe you could be with, with the most positive outlook. He's choosing to yeah. keep doing what he does because it's easier. That's all. It's just easier to be who he is. Because it's what he knows. Better. It's what he knows. It's That's just, great. But he's also being, life. yeah, but he's also being exposed to things that tell him what he knows is wrong. And Lex is aware of that. He's been aware of that since season one. He just doesn't want to grow up or change, which is fine. But the writers eventually just decided they don't want him to grow up or change either. I'm just pointing out it's tiresome. And it's sad that they don't do more with this guy. Mm. But it's nobody else's fault but mm. Lex's that he stays this way. Of course. Every individual is, you know, responsible for themselves. But we've also seen other characters completely change because of other individuals who have helped them. Yeah, that's a choice they made. Yeah. They they. She chose to make that change because of someone else's influence. They could have easily said, despite your influence, I'm not going to. Ebony's certainly done. She's shown that she 
waffles in between, okay, I actually do want to change and I'm going to make that change. And then choosing, you know, screw it. I don't want to. It's too much work and it doesn't have the reward I want it. So I'm going to keep doing what I do. Because the influence is gone. It's not how it works. I just don't agree with you. Yeah. I mean, take a look at Ryan. Lex isn't gone, but Brian is making progress. Yeah. Ryan mm. made that choice. Lex didn't leave him. He's still around. It's yeah, just Ryan, left him, though. Ryan made the choice. What yeah, the Ryan. With Celine? Why are you changing the subject again? <laughs> This is because that was Ryan. that was his influence. That was his influence. What are you talking about? We're talking about Lex and Ryan and the fact that Lex hasn't gone anywhere and Ryan is the one who chose not to let Lex be an influence in his life. The influence Lex didn't has leave. always treated Ryan as like an underling, almost similar to what Casey is. Yeah, and the point that Sabine was making is that Ryan made the choice not to let Lex influence him anymore. That's because he stopped hanging out with him as much yes, as he did. Ryan he was always made with Celine. that choice. Yeah. Lex is still choice. there. Mm. He's still an okay. influence in Ryan's life. Ryan is the one who decided to say, you know what? I'm not going to let you influence me. That's what Sabine's trying to say. Yeah. Lex yes, makes the I, choice I agree with that. who he is. He makes the choice to acknowledge the good influences in his life or ignore them. You know, it's a personal thing. Granted, yes. Your environment plays a huge part in your life, but at some point you have to make the choices. And Lex is at an age where he's old enough to make those choices. He just chooses to take the easy way out. Yeah. That's all, you know? So would you say the same thing with KC then? Or is he not old enough to make those choices? He's not old enough, but yeah, I, I would definitely say that he's still a child. If Lex was the same age of KC, I would be like, poor Lex, this poor kid. Somebody save Lex. But he's not. So... So because Casey has never had an influence, but when he reaches a certain age, he's supposed to know what's right and wrong, but he's never been taught that. I never said that. Do not twist my words. That's okay. not what I said. Okay. I never said that Lex should just automatically know what the right thing is to do. I understand that Lex didn't have anyone teaching him the right thing. My point is that once you reach a certain age and you start getting these influences that are teaching you what is right and what is wrong, you now have to start taking responsibility for what choice you're going to make. Lex has positive influences in his life. Lex chooses whether or not he wants to acknowledge them. Okay. I'm not okay. saying he should automatically know, but he should start to learn. Yeah. And Lex is choosing not to go the Some right way. Some people just don't want to. <laughs> yeah. Right. All right. Yeah, I agree. I completely agree. He chooses not to learn. Mm hmm and again, some of that's just the writers. They just decided at some point that Lex was not going to progress as a person. And so he is exactly what Ebony said. Just a two-bit hustler until the show ends. Yeah. I think the only thing Lex learns is not to rape women. I think that's the only <laughs> real lesson he gets. Maybe not to sleep on the job. <laughs> no, that's something he never learns. Yeah, I don't think he even learns that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't say any of this to demonize Lex because Lex has gone through some horrible, horrible things. I, I acknowledge that, you know? And even as time goes on, when good things are happening and Lex is trying his best and then the rug gets pulled out from underneath him and yeah, he falls and stumbles. That's rough. But um, I don't know why the writers decided to just keep him stuck in a certain kind of headspace and never grow. Maybe it's realistic, but it's sad because the character had so much potential. Mm, yeah, I can see that. Okay, that leads us to our final thoughts of the episode. So after being on the move since the since episode one, the creepy new tribe finally make it to the city and find out all about the tribe leaders meeting. And it's here that we see the guardian um, <laughs> strangle one of the tribe members. I, Pana, what did you initially think about this scene? Poor were, guy. He was so friendly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they were finally showing how creepy they really were and how dangerous. I think what really makes them more creepy it's just just their their outfits <laughs> and i don't know when i first watched it i was excited but then at the same time i was a little bit a little bit nervous because i kind of felt like okay now the maras have the ideas they need to enable to restart society to make a better future and all this stuff and then here comes somebody ready to just smack it all down <laughs> I do like the idea of them chosen, like they've landed on the shore and this is just how they've been bulldozing their way through the city sector by sector, trying to find out who's in charge. And then they finally get to sector 10 
because eventually, you know, I'm sure they got some answers from people being like, well, I mean, if anyone's running things, it's probably those mall rats in Sector 10 or whatever, and they got the antidote. And they finally get to Sector 10 and was like, who runs this place? You know, and it's, oh, the Morats, two guys, Danny and Bray, you know, and I just thought that was really great. <laughs> like, that's really I, unsettling. I, I had to laugh at that, though, because it shows how little they know about the Morats that they refer to Danny as a guy. I actually thought that was a cute detail. Mm-hmm. I don't know why, but I really like the idea that there are people who have been hearing about the Morats, but for whatever reason, maybe they haven't run into both Danny and Bray at the place. I mean, it's not like the Mollers are personally introducing mm-hmm. themselves to people. Um, but it, it, you know, their word is getting around. And yet there are people who don't really, I don't know them personally. I've been to the mall. I got some antidote, but I didn't get to meet anybody. So I thought it was just a cute detail. Um, yeah, I like that. How much people know and how little they know about them. There was one thing that does slightly annoy me. And that's just continuancy. In this last scene, you see the Guardian, and he has a tribal marking on his chest, under the robes, and you never see that again. That's just me being obsessed with the Guardian, I know. but No, no, if I was, I would have noticed it, and I'd feel like you were like, where'd it go? What was that about? I just didn't ever notice it. It's just, it's such a typical symbol as well. Because it, it's like a form of red flames, sort mm. of. Mm. which kind of reminded me of Ebony. And it's so weird because in every other episode, they've clearly decided not to go with that anymore, and that part of the costume is covered up. Maybe this is just a shot they missed. I mean, we've seen how they are with some of these pickup shots. and Oh, yeah. Uh, they're probably just like, oh, there's, we didn't cover that. We're just, we don't have time to do the scene again. Forget it. It's like Ryan's hair. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of final thoughts of the episode, I was reading a, a YouTube comment from from this episode, uh, and someone said, "No matter no matter how little food or water they have, no matter how much danger they're in, they never ever run out of a uh, makeup and hair dye supply." <laughs> yeah. I just remember someone co- commenting about the makeup, like. You're in a water with li- you're in a world with limited like cleaning supplies, limited water. Why would you cover your your body and your face in grease? <laughs> like, yeah, it's very true. It should have been breakout city for every one of these kids. Mm-hmm. Just for, for, to wrap up, like, what did you think was going to happen when they arrived at the tribal meeting? Something creepy. I think that I think it was a little spoiled for me because, as I said, I was. Season three had just started, and then they were playing reruns of season two. So I was kind of watching these at the same time. So I already knew at this point, okay, these robe people, they do end up taking over, you know. And so it was really just about finding out how we get to that part. So when you hear they're going to the tribal meeting, you're like, okay, likely they're the ones who are going to make sure things don't go well for our heroes as they try to make the city better. Um, so I think that's about, I, it was a little spoiled for me, but um I didn't know what they were going to do, just that things weren't going to go well. I'm su- I was pleasantly surprised when I did see what happened, so that was nice. I just liked the Guardian coming in there, though, with a, Hey, you, Heathen! <laughs> <laughs> Give me information. It is the first moment of like any kind of physical violence you do see from this group, mm-hmm. which I think can be startling because they're just humming, and most of their imagery is very tranquil, uh, which I thought was a cool choice for them. Um, this danger that's in an attractive package under the guise of being good and gentle and stuff. And then Jaffa taking, having no problem you being forceful for some with someone who has, it doesn't deserve it. You know what I mean? Like this person isn't doing anything wrong. All he says is hello, you know? <laughs> and, you know, it's like Jaffa could have just asked his question and he would have gotten his answer. But um, so it's an unnecessary force, foreshadowing. Well, I suppose I don't. Maybe is it foreshadowing, but it tells you what Jaffa is, his idea about force. He's no problem using it, even if it wouldn't be necessary to use it. Yeah. It's all about making that statement for him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And his appearance does. I wonder if he's showing off for his group. The last thing I want to say, I, I just thought of it. I, I'm sure like when he's like asking people how his outfit looks, I can imagine the conversation with him and Luke and the Guardian's like, Luke, do you like my outfit? And then Luke's like, I don't just like it. I love it. (laughs) I just want to know who's like brushing his gorgeous locks. 
<laughs> you know Jaffa makes someone brush his hair. Yeah. Question. I'm instantly getting the fan vid I never made stuck into my head again. <laughs> and that brings series two, episode six to a close. Thank you very much to the panel. And if you would like to take part in a future episode of the podcast, then you can send us a message over on our Facebook page or fill out the form on our website, thetribe.co.uk. So we'll see you next time for episode seven. Until then, bye. 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 Bye.